Nick, thanks for coming on today. Really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I'm really looking forward to getting into this, uh, the topic that, we, that we're going to get into today. But before we do, why don't, we, uh, why don't you just introduce yourself and let everyone know uh, who you are, kind of what your, what your story is. All right. Uh, my name is Nick Zanani. I'm a coordinator of sports performance for football at Wake Forest University. Um, pretty much the number three in line here. So there's Coach Oregon, Coach Barry, and then there's me. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I'm a certified athletic trainer. I have a master's in athletic training. I've been working in collegiate football for the past five years. Um, before that, I worked in a bunch of different sports up in New York where I got my, my degree. Um, prior to that, I had a uh, four-year enlistment in the military. And, you know, I kind of grew up bouncing all over the country. So it's a quick, uh, quick little bit about me there. Quick rundown. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've got, you've got a pretty unique story, uh, for lack of a better word. I think that's, I think it, that's pretty true kind of what it is. Um, and I know obviously we've been like, we, we not, we don't work together necessarily, but your office is just down the hallway from mine. Um, so we uh, kind of shoot the shit, so to speak, uh, in the hallway every now and again. Um, and I think your, like your journey kind of what you've been doing is, is fascinating. I think you've got a lot of great insights uh, for people to, to know about. So, why don't you just tell us initially kind of obviously you mentioned the military there why don't you just tell us initially kind of what made you get into the military and then we'll we'll go from that yeah so i was uh i was a kid who bounced around a lot uh throughout my childhood so like my my old man was a prison guard in california and we moved up and down uh along pretty much where the prisons were and it was just me and my brothers and <clears throat> pretty much uh we moved like multiple times every year and then my parents split and we moved to the East Coast. And as I was growing up in the East Coast, I, I didn't have a whole lot of guidance and I got in a lot of trouble and I didn't do all the things I probably should have done. Uh, I made a lot of mistakes that luckily I was able to go ahead and, and you know, uh, I don't know, not have hold my whole life back. And so uh, I ended up not graduating high school, getting a GED. I, I ended up somehow getting into college in Arizona going, even though I shouldn't have just so I could get some debt under my belt at the age of 18. And after about a semester of that, I, I dropped out and then bounced around California for about six months. And I had no job, no education, um, no home. And I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So I joined the army, you know, um, was, uh, I, I don't know if it would be all you can be at that point still. I think we might have moved on to Army of One. I don't know what the slogan was, but I, I opened up a, a magazine one day and I saw something about Army Rangers. And I'm like, nah, I'm going to go try to do something like this. And, uh, and I did. So. And then, so like you're in the Army, obviously. You've kind of obviously like seen a few things. And then we don't necessarily need to go into loads of detail about kind of what you were doing in the Army, but... Do you mind just talking a little bit about the, the type of training that you did uh, to prepare you to maybe get into the army and the, the start to start with? And then when you were there, kind of what did they put you through? I, I think that, you know, uh, basic training is like uh, when you get a freshman athlete in. Right. And you put them through like really. And I mean, obviously, the word basic is in is in the title. Right. But you put them through really basic programming. Right. And you put them through like really basic stuff and. And while they're doing that stuff, they, they all complain and they think it's like the hardest thing they've ever done. And, and then, you know, all of a sudden, like two years later, they're in lifts and, you know, they're doing like their winter conditioning or their, 
you know, there's summer conditioning and it's like 10,000 times harder than anything they ever did when they first showed up. I, I think that's a lot of what like the basic training is. And, and I think that that's how, you know, I just, I just showed up, you know, like, like everybody, else, I just showed up, you know, uh, and I, I grew up kind of like uh, in and out of boxing gyms and stuff like that. So I wasn't like a, like a slob or anything like that. I, I played every, every sport known to man, like in high school. And I mean, I just, I couldn't stay on any teams because I didn't ever go to class. Um, and so like, it's not like I was like super out of shape, but you know, um, I don't, I don't think looking back, I felt like when you first get in, it's like super easy. And, uh, and then I went to airborne school and, and that was super easy because all of a sudden you got like nights and weekends off. And then I ended up in the 82nd and, uh, after the 82nd, um, after I got there, my, my unit was deployed at the time. So they all came back. And then I, and then I realized that I hadn't done anything hard yet because then we started to actually PT. So it was like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday was always like a five plus mile run, right? Always. And uh, Thursday was always going to be somewhere between five and 10 miles road march, right? And, you know, minimum 45 pound, you know, rucksack on your back. And then and then in my platoon, we'd, we'd always like circle up and fight at the end. And it was, it was like, it was awesome. And, 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 but stuff was like, stuff got hard, but I mean, there was no, there's no like direction in terms of like training. I mean, the military is really moving towards like having like sort of like direction and how they actually train people like a system mm-hmm. or it was just like, Hey, this dude who's been on two deployments and runs like a six minute mile, he's your squad leader and he's going to, he's going to go run you to death. And, and, you know, and you were like, okay, let's go, you know? And, you know, I always laugh. Cause it's like, when I was 18, I'm 19 years old, I go out there, I'd be smoking a cigarette in the morning, getting ready for like a six mile run. and like, just downed like a cup of coffee. And I'd be like, oh shit, this is what we're going to do. Like, like, okay. Like flick that and be like, all right, fuck it. Let's get it. You know? And, and, and that's, and that's how you rolled. Like that was, that was just like what we did be up until like two o'clock in the morning and <laughs> you just rinse and repeat man do it again and uh yeah so. and i know i think one of the things you actually told me uh, when we were chatting one day was you'd go on this kind of five ten mile uh run whatever it is and then you, you'd get back to base and then you think oh yeah like fantastic we're back yeah you go and like relax or whatever and then drill sergeant or whoever is just like all right another five miles like keep running past the base yeah. We, we, called those, we called those wonder runs because you'd wonder when they were going to end, right? So it was just like, all right, we're going to go out on a run. And you'd be like, all right, like, we're going to go run. And you go run like a few miles. And as you start to see the barracks, you're like, oh, man, yeah, we're almost done. Easy. And then you run right by the barracks and you run back into the woods and you're like, oh, shit. And then you like do like a mile or two mile loop and you come back around and there's the barracks again. You're like, oh, this time we're good. And then about like the, the second or third time, you're just like, all right, fuck it. I'm in for this. Like, and, running until this runs over and yeah yeah so how do you how do you attack that from a kind of mental point of view because there'd be a lot of guys there i'd imagine kind of young young guys like out of high school and stuff that they'd be like like you said oh back to the barracks i get to relax now and then all of a sudden they're like on another five miles and that, that constant cycle of just almost mentally just getting beaten down every time how do you attack that you know i think i think everybody has this place right uh that they get to and it's just like uh First of all, you know, like I was lucky because I ended up in the 82nd. And I mean, I mean, there was a bunch of slaps in my, in my, you know, division and in my unit. And, you know, um, we even had, you know, like a, a couple in my platoon here and there. And, uh, 
you know, and they're, those, those people are who they are. You know what I mean? And it's like, I just, I feel like I was lucky because I was honestly surrounded by like dudes who really embraced like a warrior's mentality, like, like in my immediate unit, like, right. Like, um, like the guys in my platoon for real, like we had a, we had a lot of Ranger qualified guys in my platoon. Um, I ended up in a recon platoon later on and you had to try out to be in my platoon. So like, really, when you get to, to when I was there and in, in, in my scout platoon, like, right. Like we, you had to try out to be there. So we didn't take you if you, if, if you didn't already pass some sort of a gut check. Right. And then we had something like 16 Ranger qualified dudes out of like 30 guys, less than 30 guys. It was, I think it was 27 of us, which was like more than the rest of the brigade had almost all the way through it. And so like we, had, we kind of prided ourselves on like being those dudes who like, no matter what happened, it was like gut check. Like I, I hate running, Chris. I hate running. I, I hate running so much. I hate it more than anything else. I would much, like, and I used to joke about this, like guys, I'd much rather die in a pile of brass than run a fucking mile in combat. Okay. And, and that's true. That's true about me. Right. Like I would, I would much rather just stop, stand, shoot, let's fight this out. Right. Like, and I mean, but like when it came to training, it's like, if this is what we're doing, this is like, then this is what we're doing. And I, you know, I just think that I was really bought in, you know, to, to what that was and, and who I wanted to be and, and my idea of, of what I was training for, you know, like I was, I was constantly thinking like, cause I had, I had some salty dog vets in my, in my platoon and they'd be like, Oh shit, you know, we, we made contact this and, and, you know, you hear about their war stories and you being like the young dude, you're like, I want to be ready for that. I want to be ready for that. And that was kind of like our, our mentality. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's how we kind of attack things. And I hate, I do, I hated running. I, so in terms of being like, you mentioned a few terms there. So you said like gut check, being ready for it. Did, did training prepare you for that? Do you think, or was that just more of it? Was it not necessarily the training itself? Or was it just kind of your mindset being like, I can do anything or is it, did the training shape you? It's, it's both, right? It's both. It's, it's a combination, right? Cause you have people who it doesn't matter what you do. They quit on themselves. Like you can't, you can't do anything. You can, you can only, put a person you can only bring a person so far right that person has to bring themselves to a point right and and I'm a firm believer in that like 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 I can't I can't do anything for my athletes if they're not willing to do more than me right like like this like coaching is isn't a 50 50 split here like you can't you have to you have to go and play the game you have to go practice like all I can do for you is x y and z the rest of the alphabet is yours, brother. Like you got to handle that stuff because like, if you don't, you're just, you're going to fail, you know, you're going to fail. And then, and in combat failure means people die, you know? And, and I think that like our, our mentality or my mentality in there was kind of like, it was, I was lucky. I, I had a, a guy who, when I first came into my unit, um, Jamin Baggett, he, he, pull me under his wings, this ranger qualified guy. He's got two combats under his belt. All he wants to do is be a green beret. He's like super motivated. And he was just like, he was always like, no, fuck that. Zanani, you're better than that. You, you got to finish that. You got to do this. Like he was always, always on me. Right. He's the only reason why I ended up in the scout platoon in the first place. And, and he was just, he was always telling me about how we could always do more. And he's like, push yourself, push yourself, push yourself. And it was just, it was in the back of my head. And, and it's kind of, it's kind of maybe a bit of like how I grew up, like always having to prove myself to people and stuff. I felt like, um, 
I, I don't know. You know, um, I think that you can mentally help people get there, mm-hmm. but at some point people have to get there themselves. And, and I think that that's a problem that we run into, not as just coaches, but as human beings, as mentors, as, as because we care about people, right? Like as a coach, you care about people and you want them to be successful. You want them to feel successful. You've had failures in your life and, and you've effed up and you like, you've dropped the ball and you know what it's, you know what it's like, like to go through a shitty situation. And you as a human being with that, like that, that empathetic part of you, it doesn't want other people to feel that. Right. And, and so like you try, like, you know, like the best hell is paved uh, by the road with the best intentions or, you know, what, what it was. Yeah, what, no, I know what you mean. <laughs> it's like um, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So it's like you intend to like help somebody and, and make it easier for them. Right. But by making it easier, you've done them a disservice. Right. And so it's like, I love boxing. I, the sport of boxing is my favorite sport in the world. And, and, you know, like I, me and the guys talk about this all the time. They're always like, man, why, why do you always see so many good boxers from like, you know, like uh, the Ukraine and, you know, you, from Kazakhstan or like, you know, like from like the Philippines. And I'm like, Hey man, you ever been to a third world country? You ever notice like to like not have everything and then have to go get it. It's like, I, I'm always motivated because my dad was a prison guard. Right. Like, so as a little kid, I didn't have money. I didn't have stuff like, and, and I knew what it was like to not have anything on like Christmas and stuff like that. Like I, I know how that feels. Right. And like, and I don't want that like in my life ever again. So I, I'm hungry for my own success. Right. And like those people who grow up in those, in those parts of the world and they're, and they're, you know, they're boxers and they're fighters. And like, they, they go through these, like uh, these horrible upbringings, right? Like Manny Pacquiao's dad, like killed his dog and like tried to feed it to him or something like that is the story. And it's like what pushed him to like come to the United States. It's like, I don't know if that's accurate, but like, I've heard that. Right. And so, I mean, like, you know, like uh, Gennady Golovkin's brothers were all killed in like war in Kazakhstan. Like, it's like you, these people know what suffering like they, they know what it's like to have nothing they know what the bottom looks like it feels like and they don't want to be there and sometimes hitting the bottom and experiencing that right is what it takes to know how that you have to like learn to dig deep and, and like fight because you don't want to you don't want to be there like I don't want to be at the bottom mm-hmm. I don't wanna be there. you're not gonna you're not gonna put me there you know kind of thing so and do you think then keeping in mind that you've got to have kind of gone to this maybe horrible place in, in training before you get deployed. How does, do, do you think looking back now? Cause like my theory is the way I think about it is you're some of your own experiences. Okay. So the more experiences you get exposed to, you're kind of inoculated to these experiences. So if you're going to, so you said uh, off camera, you were, you were deployed to Afghanistan. So did your kind of experiences being maybe at the bottom and pushed uh, hard physically and mentally in your kind of training, did that prepare you when you were for the kind of experiences that you were exposed to when you were in Afghanistan? Yeah. I mean, um, there's certain things, obviously you can't, you, you can only simulate and, and you yeah. can't experience until you experience. Um, so like, you know, like when you, you see, you like, you see like bodies and stuff like that, like that's something like, that's something that you can't train for. Like, like you, you've kind of like mentally kind of wrapped your mind around it. And I think that when you're, when you're like the, the age of like most, you know, like soldiers, when you're going into like combat, like you kind of, you braced for that. And like, 
and like you have this like really dark and like twisted sense of humor and like you like make light of a lot of stuff that's like really messed up um and and you're you're surrounded by this great support system mm-hmm. you know? but the training wise i'd say physically i trained almost I, I i almost feel comfortable saying harder than we ever had to you know go in afghanistan mm-hmm. i also was the dude who got hurt and had to be carried three and a half miles so I can't speak for, you know, my brothers, in my platoon, like having to carry my ass for that distance. <laughs> was, uh, that seemed like it probably sucked a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, I think our training um, really, really kind of prepared us. And, you know, like, and, and you talk through a lot of scenarios and you, and you, you go through a lot of scenarios. And, and I think that like, as we talked on, on mental toughness, right. And like, that was kind of like something we wanted to, to talk about, I thought, right. So it's like, uh, mm-hmm. I think a great thing to understand is that mental toughness is partially real and partially bullshit, you know, like, um, cause I know a lot of fighters, man, like who are super mentally tough I and mean, training, man. Like, like I, there's no, like, like, uh, I used to, um, like go work out at this place, Belmore kickboxing. Right. And I used to, I used to train with some, some people there and there was this guy who used to come in and train. He's in the UFC now um Gregor Gillespie right this guy he used to run on the treadmill next to me at full incline full speed for like 45 minutes straight like to start his lift to start his workout right like and I was just like this guy's a madman you know like and and so like mentally mentally he might be you know like a, a, a UFC fighter or a boxer you know like they might be this super tough guy who's like ready to go ahead and go toe to toe with like this other badass dude and like and just fight it out and I'm gonna eat a bunch of shots I might get kicked in the face and like and like that that's mentally tough right right but I might throw that same dude into the middle of a firefight and he might shit all over himself because he has not thought or prepped or or trained for that kind of scenario ever in his life so he's not he's not weak. He's just not trained. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I don't know if mental toughness is as real of a thing as it is, is just being prepared for what you're going to experience. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and once again, I think that true preparation for true experience means you got to take the coddling out. Like, right. Like you can't, as a coach, you can't make things easier, you mm-hmm. know? you can't you can't tell things it's you can't paint a rosy picture and and make things all you know like happy go lucky because that's not the reality I mean like you know I mean yes there's some people in sports who never lost like they are I mean even Floyd Mayweather lost Floyd Mayweather lost in, in the Olympics you know and you know everybody always talks about how he's undefeated and he, yeah you can argue that he got robbed but he lost and and you could even make the argument that 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 Olympic loss maybe fueled him to be able to dominate in the professional side of things the way he did. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know. So you me- you mentioned there, which which is fascinating. It's you essentially said it's situation specific. This mental toughness. So let's fast forward through your career a little bit. Um, now you're working um, here at Wake Forest University um, with the football staff. How does that 
kind of translate then to, to football. So we like coaches love to talk about being mentally tough. It's like their favorite go-to tagline, so to speak. Okay. Um, and you don't have to mention any like specifics and things here. Um, but like this, I've heard coaches talk about me mentally tough all the time. And then as a result, they try to bring in like seal training and stuff like this and like doing up downs till you're kind of, till you puke. Is that situation specific to what, to what the guys are going to face in the field? And do you mind just kind of going into that and like, what's your opinion kind of on that? All right. So that's another mixed bag, right? Mm -hmm. So I just, I think that people have used the term mentally tough, right? Because they, they want, they want that to define their players, right? You, you want to define your players as, as mentally tough and you want them to be right. And you, yeah. but once again, I, I think that mental toughness is, it's, it's partially maybe gained on our level in the, in the weight room, you know, with some of the strength and conditioning activities we do, maybe, you know, um, we, you know, we give guys, these things that they think they could have never done before and, and, you know, they achieve them, but most of that happens in our, in our summer conditioning and like strength programming. Um, and we do it in the winter time, you know, like you, you've seen our, our stuff that we set up in the winter and I'm sure it's a little bit of madness and, and, you know, so they, they experience these really hard competitive moments. Right. And we put them in these competitive scenarios. I think that, we do what we can and where we can do it. Right. I think it's hard because when you're down 21 to three, right. And it's the third quarter and, you know, the clock's ticking down and that those guys just, they, they feel like that ominous feeling like they're going to catch that L right. Like I think that it's hard, right. Like it's um, I think it comes down to, like peer leadership, mm -hmm. you know, like it, it really does because at the end of the day, I'm not playing the game and, and none of the other coaches are playing the game. You know, I, I can't tell you, you know, to go crush this dude on the line or, you know, like, you know, put the running back on his back. Like, cause I'm not feeling that dude hit me, you know, I, I don't, I'm not where you're at. So like, to me, that's like white noise almost. Right. Like, um, you know, and, and I mean, different motivation works for different people. Now, bringing, bringing in seals and stuff like that, I think that that's good to a point, right? Man, the Navy SEALs are really cashing in right now, aren't they? <laughs> you guys have been cashing in for a minute. Yep. <laughs> They're making some good money on, on their names as of recent, right? Like books and fitness equipment and, you know, cool guy gear and, and SEAL mental toughness training. Um <laughs> I, 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 you know, good for them. <laughs> hey, those, those guys owned it, you know? Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> um, speaking of pissing people off anyway, <laughs> no, um, but seriously though, uh, I think it's, I think it's good because it gives them some, some prerogative, right? Like it gives them a different perspective onto, onto their life and, and, you know, Hey, like, yeah, what I thought was tough, you know, isn't really tough. Right. Once again, it, it goes back to being specific. Like we can take SEAL Team Six, throw them on a fucking football field, and watch them get pummeled for you know four quarters. Like you yeah. know, cool. Like we we can do that, and that's exactly what would happen. You know, these dudes are are unbelievably good at what they do, 
and what they do is war, right? What they do is combat. And, you know, like the, the mental toughness aspect of that is completely different, right? Than what it is in football, right? Like completely, completely different. And, you know, I, I think the perspective side of things is really important there. But I think that we can get lost in some of that. You know, I, I hate, I love the fact that football is a team sport and that football to me is like, hey, if everybody's not doing what they're supposed to do, we all fail. We all succeed or we all fail. It, it's not, it's not a, a game based on individual achievements. Yes, you, you, have, you have your superstars, right? Like, like um, we could pick anybody in, in football, you know, like uh, you could pick uh, anyone from, you know, Russell Wilson and he just comes to mind because of last night, right? And he played last night. He's a superstar. Right. And he's a, he's an amazing athlete. Right. And at the end of the day, if the O-line doesn't block for Russell Wilson, he's screwed. Right. It doesn't matter how amazing he is. If the O-line says, nah, come on, come on through. He he doesn't win football games, you know? And so they might not get the, you know, the stats and they might not get the love and, and, you know, and, and all the, you know, the respect that they maybe deserve, but, you know, it's a team sport. And so I think that the, the SEAL stuff talks about success on a team level. It gives them a different perspective of what success and failure looks like. Um, but I, I just, I think that there's, there's some people who get too caught up in that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that there, there's, there's people who are really missing, missing the boat there. You know what I mean? On, on what they're trying to achieve and, you know, shoot, Rusty Witt. You know who Rusty Witt is? He's a uh, strength coach down. I want to say he's at Troy now. Um, And uh, I think he's the head strength coach down at Troy now. And he's a good dude. He was a seven special forces guy, right? Um, And he he was a strength coach. 9-11 happened. Went in the military. Did SF. Got out. And now he's a strength coach again. Um, He's been, he bounced around a couple of different locations in the past like four or five years. Um, Real good guy. But he said a a really good statement um, to me one time where he said, um, uh, he's like, you know, we, we get so caught up in this, this mental toughness and, and all of this stuff. He's like, he's like, but you know, we have to remember like we're here to build these kids up in special forces and special operations. We tear people down. Mm-hmm. Like the reason why we do that is because we're weeding people out, but we brought all these kids in on scholarship, you know, like we, we recruited them to come here and, and we have to build them with it's, it's more of a building process and we can't, we can't get lost in like this, like military mindset. There's no reason for an O lineman to do a hundred up downs. Like that's, that's 300 pounds of human being. You don't have 300 pound Rangers. You don't have 300 pound seals. You don't like, that's not a thing. That's not a thing, right? Like I'm five, seven, 185 pounds. And when I was in the military and I went through ranger school, I started at 165 pounds and I finished at about 130 pounds, right? So it's just like, it's one of those things where it's like these massive human beings, right? Like, like we have to respect the parameters of, of, of what we do. Like if we're strength and conditioning professionals and we're, we're coaching professionals, we have to, we have to be professional and look at what our, 
what our uh, boundaries are and what mm-hmm. we have to go ahead and make sure that we stay within those. 100%. And then, do, so do you think just, you pretty much mentioned it then, but do you think we're kind of trashing athletes, which, which still happens at, at some programs and things like that? I think as a profession, coaches are getting around this now and starting to understand it. And I think sports performance staff are starting to inform head coaches that that's not necessarily the way to go. But do you think the, let's just use the head coach as an example here, the head coach maybe wants you to, to trash your athletes and beat them down like you talked about versus build them up because it makes them feel good and it makes them feel like, oh, it must be working if we're puking. Yeah, um, I think we're moving away from that. That's good, right? Yeah. Um, it's very good that we're moving away from that. And, and yeah, and, and I mean, that, that goes back to what I was just saying, right? Like, it's like combat, right? Let's look at, let's look at football, right? So football's four quarters, right? The, the field is what, like 52 yards wide, right? It's, it's uh, 100 yards long from end zone to end zone, right? And, and that's, that's our field of play. Okay. Combat, right? I mean, it could be in the Arctic. It could be in Afghanistan, in the Hindu Kush mountains. It could be in, you know, the desert in freaking Iraq. It could be, it could be on hills. It can be in the forest in Ardennes, Germany, right? Like it can be freaking anywhere. The firefight can last five minutes, right? Oh, guy popped a couple shots, hopped on a motorcycle and sped off and we can't catch him, right? Or it can be five days. Like you don't, you don't know, like, oh my God, like we're in a, you know, a large firefight with a large, you know, unit across from us and we don't have support. So like, there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of variables that exist in combat that don't exist in sports. And if we try to go ahead and do this like chaotic training that's just just hey like hey suffer 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 so you can suffer so you know what suffering feels like right like like then we're not we're not building our guys right and i mean all the science says that right all the science says like hey man if i just if i just crush you on a regular basis you're not getting stronger you're not getting in better condition i mean uh what i'm trying to remember what it is bring your school like I said, I graduated like 135 pounds. I'll show you a picture sometime. It's scary, right? Like I look like a skeleton. And uh, and it's like, they say your body doesn't recover for like at least a year. And that it takes years off of your life, right? Like, and that's if you just do 62 days of ranger school, which it's supposed to just be 62 days. I, I recycled like three times. I was there for like six months. <laughs> <laughs> I was there forever. Um, but it, it's just like, it's just one of those things where it's like, you really need to look at what, as strength and conditioning professionals, we just need to remember to look at what our, our guys are doing. Like, hey, like, what are the actual demands of our sport? You know, what are the bioenergy and uh, bioenergetic, Jesus Christ, bioenergetic demands of our sport? You know, the biomechanical demands of our sport. Mm-hmm. How do I make my athlete stronger, do it safely and, and get them on the field and keep them on the field, right? Mm-hmm. Keep them. the big part, especially in, in season. But yeah, I mean, you got guys who just, yeah, they love to crush dudes. And, and I think that those guys are getting weeded out because mm-hmm. lack of success inside programs that go out with just the idea, I'm just going to crush dudes. Mm-hmm. So what do you think is like, 
trying to keep with that mental toughness, toughness theme, what do you think is kind of the equivalent of then what you've kind of seen in the military to like inoculate you to the environment of going to war versus inoculating yourself to the environment of going to play against an Ohio State? You, you ready for this? It has nothing to do with us in the weight room. Yep. Practice. <laughs> yep. Practice. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> How you get ready for a football game, man? You practice playing football. Mm-hmm. right you want oh you want to be a better tackler cool tackle at practice yep you know like do you do like dumbass like oklahoma drills over and over again probably not that's probably not where we're going to get better that's probably just going to get somebody hurt right because in all honesty that scenario isn't super realistic in a game anyways right yep. very rarely do we have two guys lined up 10 yards from each other running full speed straight at each other right so it's like practice practice the way you want the game to be played right and then your guys will play the game like that you know I, I think that our job is I think our job is way easier than we make it sometimes mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not saying there's not complexities to what we do because there, there certainly are I just I just see a lot of people and I see a lot of programming out there that's a very like sports specific this and sports specific that and it's like just make your guy stronger um, make him less susceptible to injury right and you know and and let practice do the rest stop trying to make your your lift session look like practice like because that doesn't make any sense you're wasting time and and you're you're losing the opportunity to actually physically develop your athletes mm-hmm. no 100 i love the, the fact that you said that it's let's get better at the technical tactical um when we're out there the psychological, that's obviously a tough one. That, but I think, again, the more you prepare for the environment, the more your kind of freshmen become seniors and move through the different years in college, they're becoming more inoculated to those environments. They're getting used to playing in front of 50,000-plus fans every week, taking a field goal on the 40 in front of 50,000 fans. Ideally, they'll, be, they'll have experienced that before they have to do it potentially um, in a very important game. So can they do it against some kind of smaller Division One team uh, in front of a big fan base and things like that? Because we all know that the the practice environment is not the same as the like performance environment. So I think trying to bridge those gaps is very important. But I think you hit the nail on the head when you essentially said, "Look, we just need to practice, get better at the technical, tactical, and kind of the rest will take care of itself." Yeah, and and luckily for us this year, practice is very similar to game day scenarios because I mean, we're about to go play Syracuse this week and they don't allow any fans up there. Mm-hmm. So our practice can have as many people spectating just about as the uh, game day will. Mm-hmm. How have you, have you found that from a kind of game game day experience? Uh, is there an effect on performance? Do you think it benefits a Wake Forest or a, not a, a typically smaller division one power five school versus like an Ohio state? Uh, Penn State where they're used to playing in front of hundreds of thousands of fans yeah absolutely so it's like um so I talked to a friend at Louisville right and he said you know the hard thing about coming us coming to play you our guys say is that you know your your stadium's a lot quieter than ours right like our you know like there's like a lack of juice inside that you know and I'm like good I'm like good like if if your guys if you guys need like you know like 60,000 people to scream in order to play good and our guys don't good. And the difference is, is our guys can go like we're used to playing on the road against Clemson and Florida State and Louisville and those other big schools. So we're used to playing in front of really loud people. And, you know, um, 
you know, like over the, the past four years, our crowd has definitely grown up. Unfortunately for us this year, we don't get to really have one because I think our guys were starting to enjoy that. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it does help. I, I think it does help, uh, you know, some of the, the smaller schools because it's, it's a different feeling I'm sure at Penn state when you don't have that place packed out and making all the noise and it's, and it's a different thing. It's easier for, for other teams to go into those places and play because I mean, I, I, remember having an earpiece in, um, you know, like five, five years ago when I was working with NC state over at Clemson. And I remember not being able to hear anybody in the earpiece. And I just was like, yeah, that's, that's how loud this is right now. It's like, I, I can't hear anything like nothing, like nothing. So, you know, imagine being a quarterback and, you know, and like, or, you know, anybody and trying to communicate with the other guys on the field and it's, yeah, there's, there's a huge advantage that those gigantic stadiums have when they're the home team. And so, uh, you know, yeah, I think it, it plays a little bit in our favor. Yeah, uh, de- Definitely. I, I'd agree there as well. Just kind of being used to almost, I'm not going to say like Wake Forest, definitely not a silent environment, but at the moment with, uh, with no fans in the stadium, it is. Um, and that's completely, it's a different world. Of, it's a world apart from, like I say, an Ohio state, a Penn state and, and things like that. Um, just kind of moving on then. So like your certified athletic trainer, you're a certified strength coach. How do you think having that kind of AT background helps you within kind of the realm of, of strength conditioning, uh, working with football players? Do you think it gives you a slightly different perspective? Um, you know, I, I'd say, yeah, but a part of me is like, not really. Um, and the reason is, is because, I think that as you get further into strength and conditioning, and I mean, you know, I'm relatively young compared to some of the other people, like in terms of like how long I've been doing this, right? Um, I think that you have to look at everything from a whole picture, right? If you want to be a good strength coach. So maybe my base of knowledge going in on the injury side of things was a little bit ahead of somebody else's who would have come in from a different background. Um, maybe my, like my AMP is a little bit better, like, you know, like, but all that being said, I think that anytime I talk to any great strength coaches, you know, they've, you analyze injury and you analyze injury because you want to prevent injury. And so I don't know any good strength coaches out there that, that really haven't gone in depth looking at hamstring injuries and groin injuries and shoulder injuries and chest and like, you know what I mean? Like the typical things that you see every day. Now I might, I might have like a little bit more of like a base knowledge about like weird injuries that, you know, like (laughs) that, like Haglund's deformity and like, you know, like, like Mm -hmm. stuff that stuff that like, I don't know, doesn't, doesn't really play a big role in a lot of what we're doing. Um, it does help me communicate with our sports medicine staff. I think mm-hmm. um, it helps me get my foot in the door. I think with, with sports medicine people a little bit better. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm still asking them questions yeah. because I'm not the person who's doing the sports medicine work with them. Right. Like I'm, I'm not treating our athletes. Right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not working in the treatment room and I'm, and I'm not, you know, directly doing the rehabs and, and stuff like that. I'm, 
I do work with our long-term injury guys and our short-term injury guys. And so I do communicate with them a lot more, but I mean, there's a person like me on every single staff in the country, you know, whose whose job is more or less to head up what's going on with the injured athletes and to coordinate, you know, uh, progressions and rehabbing with the athletic trainers, you know? And so, uh, Luckily for me, I've, I've been blessed to be around a lot of really good sports medicine people. And, you know, uh, between being here and being at NC State, you know, and even even back in uh, Long Island University when I was working at Post, like that was, you know, I, I had good sports medicine people around. And so I think that having a sports medicine department that, you know, speaks with regularly and has a mutual respect with the strength and conditioning side of things is hard to find. And, and, and when you find it, I think you get good results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's one thing that we do very well here at wake is we have that kind of open relationship with the, the sports med and it, it helps that we're like their buildings essentially attached to ours um, yep. so that we can just jump back and forward between the two. And that's obviously lucky because that's not the same at a lot of schools. So it definitely helps bridge that gap and, essentially the, the collaboration and communication is a lot more efficient because of that. Yeah, absolutely. So just, just my next question, funnily enough, was going to be if anyone wanted to kind of uh, get in touch with you, where can they find you on social media? But are you even on social media? <laughs> All right. So I, I have an Instagram account that I barely, rarely use. And my players make fun of me about it because they're like, yeah, you know when uh, Nick's re-downloaded his Instagram because he puts up like six pictures and then deletes it again, <laughs> and then uh, and uh, and I mainly I mainly just put up like uh, like personal photos and stuff like that. I, I download it this time of the year Instagram uh, for Soy Nexus Squattober, and that's purely the only reason why I do that. Um, Twitter I usually have downloaded this time of year so I can retweet out highlights from my guys because. I like to just do that to support them in some way, shape or form. I don't know why it seems like that's beneficial to them, but I, I don't even think I have anybody but my players following me on Twitter. So <laughs> I have both of those things though. They, um, I have a LinkedIn. Feel free to hit me up on that. And uh, yeah. And I answer that. If you do type me a message, I will write you back. And they can, they can surely send you a message by like carrier pigeon just to get you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> feel, <laughs> feel free carrier pigeon. Just hook you up. And then just, just finally, Nick, um, any books that you, uh, you highly recommend anything that you've kind of read in the last, surely you read something maybe over lockdown or something like that that you think, all right, this is a good book. Like you guys need to, to get into this. Okay. All right. Yeah. This is a great question. I love this because I'm an avid reader. Um, so books that changed my life. All right. Let's go with that. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Pressfield's Gates of Fire. All right. That's a book about the Battle of Thermopylae. It's uh, a historical fiction. It's a great book. It's a great read. I usually have two to three copies in my office that I hand out. Um, shoot. I got one right here in my bag. Because I had to buy one because I just I just uh, gave one out. So that's this book right here. Oh, there we go. Okay, yeah. Um, 
and that book kind of helped me want to talk about stuff like so like for me I've always been infatuated with other people's like stories of like success and and you know like and, and you know like that go back to mental toughness you know like what Spartans had to do to become you know Spartans what what they had to do to just exist in their own society uh, was was really pushing themselves to the mental brink and it was one of the things I constantly thought about you know like on long runs because I know everybody runs with like their headphones in and like you know and music and stuff but that wasn't always a thing you know <laughs> like it wasn't always easy to do that right um so if you didn't have an iPod, which was like this big back in the day, like, you know, like with like the, the armband and the headphones, you just ran in silence and in your mind would wander. Right. And so when I would do my long runs back in the day and, and when I would ruck march and when I was training for ranger school and stuff like that, like this book um, was recommended to me. It was required reading in ranger battalion. And, uh, and I, I ate it up and I, and I freaking loved it. And I would constantly run myself back in my mind to like how easy everything I was doing, like everything I was doing was like compared to like what they had to go through. Um, a great book on training. Um, I did drop Verkoshansky earlier. So I'll say Verkoshansky scoop super training. If you haven't read it um, and you're an up and coming strength coach, you know, you can, you can put, uh, no offense to Caldeets or anybody, you can put all the more new literature like that down and pick that up and see where the base of information kind of was coming from because what he was doing at his time was was really changing a lot of how we understand everything that we're doing now. Um, and it kind of really paved the way for a lot of stuff to grow on top of our, our industry. Um, yourself a bit of time when you're reading that as well because it's not an easy read <laughs> yeah. gosh dude anytime you pick up anything from eastern europe just get ready for uh a long read with lots of <laughs> all scientific terms um you know and and you might have to give it like a once or twice a third and a fourth time over mm -hmm. just to actually kind of get it um but it'll make you better in the long run mm -hmm. um and then just a a a good read for something since we talked about mental toughness and that's a there's so many I could say uh, but I did recently read uh, the coddling of the American mind right um, and that was an interesting one the coddling of the American mind talks a lot about how you know we live these great untruths nowadays um, of you know people are fragile so we treat people like they're fragile and you know like we act like uh, how, like how you feel, like really matters, but it doesn't <laughs> because there's like facts to the world. So it's like uh, it talks about fragility. It talks about um, forming opinions based on feelings rather than facts, and how that's the wrong way to go. Um, and yeah, it just it's it really gives a lot of insight onto how to approach, especially this generation now, um, you know, and I think I needed that because I kind of have a little bit of like a, an old salty dog mentality and I need to not kind of look at people the way I do and, and kind of like mature my own perspective. And I think that that helps. Uh -huh. So that one was the, the coddling of the American mind. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
I have to look into that one myself. That's a, that's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. I, I recommended that to a, a lot of different uh, coaches recently, just because I think it does give us like these, these great untruths that, you know, we mm-hmm. are. And, and it kind of gives you ways to address them, you know, um, and teach you like, no, that's, that's, that's not right. That's just how you feel right now. And it's not, you know, like just because that's how you feel doesn't mean that is what it is, you know, like you, mm-hmm. like it's not a fact and, uh, and teaching kids to kind of draw those lines and, and that they're not fragile, you know, and, and they're, you know, like what doesn't kill you, you know, doesn't make you weaker. <laughs> like, you know, like there's a point where what doesn't kill you makes you stronger is actually wrong. But, you know, for the most part, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger is pretty right. You know, and I think that those are just like really good things to kind of like take into account. But, oh, you know. for sure. Definitely. And I think that's a that's a great point to kind of to wrap everything up on. I know you've got a few meetings to go to, so I will let you go. So, Nick, thank you very much for, for coming on today. Really appreciate it. And I know the listeners will have a lot of notes to take from this episode as well. It's been uh, it's been great fun. Thank you very much. Appreciate you a lot, Chris, man. Thank you. Cheers. Bye.